In the recriminations that follow, the Times wearily announces that our sympathy, insofar as we have any sympathy with the movement, goes to Stratford. By then, however, Stratford is at crisis point. With quite remarkable cack-handedness, Flowers' agents have managed to promise the high point of the festival, a commemorative production of Hamlet, to two actors simultaneously. Samuel Phelps, the most esteemed English thespian of the age, and the dashing Frenchman Charles Fechter. No one appears to have noticed they are deadliest rivals. Grievously affronted, Phelps pulls out. Fechter dithers, then, sensing that a patriotic British public is not on his side, turns tail. In late March, with just a month to go, it looks as though Stratford will have no Shakespearean drama to put inside its luxuriously appointed Shakespearean pavilion. In everyone's minds is one of the most mortifying episodes in British literary history. Seventeen years earlier, in 1847, Shakespeare's birthplace on Henley Street was on the point, it was reported, of being sold to the American showman P.T. Barnum and shipped brick by brick to New York. Only after a last-minute campaign led by Charles Dickens and the actor William Charles Macready was national pride salved and the birthplace saved. With April 1864 just weeks away, history looks set for a farcical repeat. Punch publishes a tercentenary number, poking sarcastic fun at everything from the Athenaeum's priapic bardolatry to the saga of the rival memorials. As the big day approaches, an editorial in a London magazine plunges in the knife. Shakespeare has been commentated, expurgated, purified, nullified, annotated, edited, improved, disproved, approved, illustrated, painted, drawn and quartered out of existence, it argues. Why should anyone bother to tercentenarise him too? When Saturday the 23rd of April finally dawned on the English Midlands, things were not as calamitous as many had feared. The one thing the Stratford Tercentenary Committee had not been responsible for, the weather, turned out beautifully. Crowds came in their thousands, attracted by free fireworks and an exhibition boasting a remarkable 28 different portraits of Shakespeare. Even the pavilion predicament was resolved. At the last minute, and even more expense, performances of Twelfth Night and Romeo and Juliet were procured from the West End. The grand opening banquet, each dish themed after a play, was accounted a success. Still, a bitter taste lingered, not least when an anonymous handbill appeared on Stratford's streets, pouring scorn on Flower's efforts. Headlined, Shakespeare, the poet of the people, it criticised the profitless swells clogging up the town and called for a festival less dismissive of Stratford's working-class inhabitants. When the journalist Andrew Halliday paid a visit for Dickens's magazine all the year round, he too scoffed at what he found, accounting the fireworks per se not so very bad, but regretting the fact that the birthplace, a general tea garden aspect, was guarded by two huge Warwickshire policemen in full uniform whose presence was suggestive of a murder or a robbery. Other British cities did the national poet proud, Liverpool mounted a ball for 1,400 dressed in Shakespearean costume. Unimpressed by the fetish for statues and likenesses, Birmingham Shakespeare Club outclassed its Midlands neighbour by laying the foundations for a monument much more fitting. A Shakespeare library open freely to all Shakespeare students from wherever they may come. and is still very much going, having reopened inside the new library of Birmingham in September 2013.
In London, however, the big day went wrong almost from the off. Dixon's committee produced a so-called official programme, but it was pointed out that nearly everything in it, from revivals of The Merchant of Venice at Sadler's Wells to Henry VI Part Two at the Surrey Theatre in Lambeth, had been organised by other people. More confusion was sown when the Crystal Palace, the vast exhibition space in South London, announced that it would hold its own tercentenary celebrations, featuring Shakespeare himself, the actor Arthur Young, with bald wig and heavy makeup, rising from the dead from a replica of the birthplace. But the Nadir came on Primrose Hill in North London, where yet another subcommittee, the Working Men's Shakespeare Committee, hurriedly formed to ensure something actually happened, had arranged to plant an oak sapling in Shakespeare's memory on the anniversary day itself. The planting went to plan, but it was swiftly overtaken by a left-wing protest in support of General Garibaldi, then making headlines in...